You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Today's scripture reading is Matthew 8, 23-34. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Let us hear the word of the Lord. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. When he he had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What do you have to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the demons begged, send us into the herd of pigs. Go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Then the men who tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Hey, it's good to see you all. Glad you all are here uh, to, to worship with you with us. If this is your first time here at Sojourn, I want to introduce myself. My name is Jamal. I am one of the pastors here, and I have the uh, privilege of uh, bringing a message this morning. Uh, before we get to the sermon, I do want to uh, highlight uh, some things that's been going on in the life of our church. Uh, summertime is a time where a lot of us were in and out, and, and we have so much good things that's happening. Sometimes as a pastor, I just want to just have a whole service where we just highlight uh, very specifically the way that God is, is working. And so I just want to take a second to, to highlight a few things, not, not everything, just to remind you, if you're a member here of Sojourn Midtown, of how God is working amidst, amidst us. And that even though we may have kind of t- taken some breaks this summer, that God was still at work. So uh, this first slide points to a summer academy that we've been able to do at Sojourn. It was a two-week academy with kindergartners and first graders. There were 20 kids from Sojourn, Shelby Elementary, Englehart Elementary, and the West End School. And uh, this ministry uh, helped to make sure that these students were at reading level as well as uh, growing in in their math uh, skills. So we had teachers from Sojourn, students from Sojourn College, as well as LTN. It was a, a beautiful sight to behold. Also... We had an open mic night here at uh, Sojourn. It was hosted by Sojourn Arts. It was open to the community as well as to Sojourn members. Uh, my wife and I, we got, had the opportunity to come. There was spoken word. There was original music. It was beautiful. Uh, 
you know, I just walked away amazed at the talent that's in our church. There was this gospel bombs going off all over the place. That's a good thing, amen? Gospel bombs are a good thing. All right. Sojourn College had an uh, uh, experience called the Acts 1-8 team, where they spent five weeks in Louisville, two weeks in Africa, one week with a Sojourn Network church plant, and they were exposed to different spheres of mission and discern where God may be calling them after they graduate. So they partnered with some of our sent ones in, uh, in a specific uh, a city in Africa and saw many amazing things. In fact, uh, a few of them are now discerning and seeing if God is calling them to go over unto the mission field. Pastor Robert talked about Restore, which, is, uh, which meets on Wednesday, and this is a picture from June uh, 26 that they took together. We've had and heard testimony after testimony of people uh, just having their hearts restored by God's Word and community with others. And so we praise God for this ministry. During the summer, S2 held a summer student summer uh, Bible study and study groups. They also did a retreat with high school students. I had a summer camp for middle school students. So we do have a student's ministry that is very vibrant here. And so we want to encourage you to check that out. We also had a medical team go to the Dominican Republic, and they served uh, communities alongside our soldier and missionary families as well as we had a team go to Puerto Rico to partner with a local pastor in his church. They conducted teaching and building relationships with local members. And these are just a few things that has happened since June. Uh, we've also had other teams go out, other wonderful things happening within us. The Lord is drawing people to himself. He's breaking strongholds. He's giving new life. And we should be excited about that. Also looking forward, next week I'm going to tell you guys about some fun things that we have happening in the month of September, as we will be having a, a vision series, a series in which we will be declaring uh, what is the vision of Sojourn Midtown. What do we as pastors, as, as staff, and some members who've uh, had uh, kind of spoken into our vision, where do we see the Lord taking us in very clear and tangible ways? So we want you guys to know this. We want you to be praying and also to uh, continue to pray that the Lord will make you excited about um, his mission that's happening in our neighborhoods as well as amongst the nations. Uh, let's pray, and then we're going to dive in today's message. Uh, Lord, you truly are good, and we recognize that we, we need you. Just like that deer needs you that pants for living water, so our soul thirsts for you. Would you, Lord, uh, help me to communicate with clarity through the power of your Holy Spirit uh, so that your people would be able to, uh, to eat off of your word corporately so that we can grow strong as a church? Would you eliminate any uh, distractions so that we can see your son, Jesus Christ? Holy Spirit, fill us up until we want no more. In the matchless victorious, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. American theologian and esteemed writer Howard Thurman, in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, tells the story of a time in his life as a child where his mother, in the middle of the night, woke him up and rushed him outside to see Halley's Comet, which is a magnificent a comet that comes about every 75 years across our solar system. 
And he rehashes the story of being excited and seeing this magnificent light fill up the skies, feeling his mother's touch on his shoulder as she drew him near to this beautiful sight, when suddenly he was filled with fear as he thought to himself, what would happen if this comet was to hit the earth? So he asked the question, and he said this to his mother, and he received this response. My mother's silence was so long that I looked from the comet to her face. And he goes on to talk about how he had not seen his mother hit with silence and a look of awe, except for times that she was in prayer. When she spoke, she said, nothing will happen to us, Howard. God will take care of us. And he goes on to talk about how this peace overtook him as he realized his mother's faith in God, that even if a comet hit earth, that they would be okay because God would take care of them. The author of Matthew is writing to his audience, and in essence, as he writes this book, he is letting them know that that everything will be okay because God will take care of his people. And he's writing to a a largely Jewish audience, and he's teaching and telling them why everything will be okay by pointing them to Jesus Christ and and showing them that Jesus Christ is the long-awaited Messiah, and because he has come, we can rest assured in the promises of God. And so last week we looked at and we reminded ourselves that, that throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is this Messiah. And we specifically looked at how Jesus is proving his messianic call by showing that he had the power over all diseases. And today we're going to see that not only does Jesus have power over diseases, but that Jesus has power over nature and Jesus has power over evil. Jesus has power over disease. He also has uh, power over disasters as well as power over demons. Now, many times when we hear this preached, and I've preached this story many times about Jesus calming the wind and the waves We go to a great application, but what I don't think is is Matthew's main point or main application. Many times we hear this priest, and I've preached this, and and we see this this great story about Jesus calming the sea, and we we walk away and say, yes, Jesus can, can calm our storms. Jesus can speak peace into a storm called marriage. He can speak peace into a storm called loneliness. All he can do, he can speak peace to a a, a storm called financial uh, financial, uh, debt. He can speak peace to your storm called brokenness or whatever it is. Jesus, all he has to do is speak peace. And whatever your storm is, it will cease. And that is certainly an application. Jesus is certainly able to do that, but that is not the main point that Matthew is making. That's a point that we want to get to, but that's not where we want to start. Matthew is making a larger point, a more important point, and it's this. Jesus is God. (laughs) Jesus is God. Jesus is able to display his power over disease, disaster, and demons because he is God himself. In Matthew chapter 1, Jesus makes the point, Matthew makes the point to show that Jesus is the one who fulfills Isaiah's prophetic message and word. He is the one who is Emmanuel, 
God with us. And Jesus himself is trying to help the disciples to come to see this. In Matthew chapter 8, we read in verse 29 that Jesus told them, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to, to lay his head. The Son of Man. Interesting title that Jesus uses here. And what he's doing is he's pointing us back to Daniel chapter 7. We have this on the screen. When Daniel receives this this vision, he says, I continue watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. They will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Jesus refers to him Self as the Son of Man, as he is calling disciples to himself, pointing them back to this messianic call and this tension of one who is God and yet one who is man. And this isn't the only time that Jesus is going to consider himself the Son of Man. We read in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is before the Sanhedrin and Pharisees and they are falsely accusing him of all kind of things. And the high priest stood up and they said to Jesus, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But the Bible says that Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told them, but I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So how does Jesus answer this high priest's call of, of who are you? He points on, once again back to Daniel chapter 7 and says, one day you will see the Son of Man, you will see me coming back with all power. Jesus is God. This is the point. And so in this very familiar story where the disciples are commanded to cross over to go to the other side, we see a violent storm that arises. And a lot of ink has been, been, been written on whether or not this violent storm was a storm that God uh, essentially sent to the disciples or if this is demonic activity. Regardless, we know that God is in control of everything that happens. So this violent storm is allowed by God to happen, whether or not this demonic activity is, is irrelevant. The point that Matthew wants us to see is that the disciples were swamped by waves and it was a scary situation. And while the storm was happening, that Jesus was asleep on board. Now, Mark's gospel adds a little more commentary here. It, doesn't, it says it doesn't just say that Jesus was asleep on board. It says that he was asleep on a cushion. In other words, Mark wants us to know that Jesus was knocked out. <laughs> and so Matthew lets us know that Jesus is asleep. The disciples uh, react, and they react by screaming out, Lord, save us, we are going to die. And then Jesus, in verse 26, says, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? So apparently Jesus wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and he calls them little faiths. And the Bible says that Jesus got up, he rebukes the wind and the sea, and there's great calm. The sea obeys the voice of Jesus uh, just like a, a puppy obey, obeys the voice of its owner. 
But the point, again, of Matthew is found in this question in verse 27 as the disciples are are watching this. They're trying to figure this out. They're trying to wrap their minds around the fact that this this man who they they know has bowel movements, uh, this man whom they, they know gets tired, uh, this, this man who they know has a, a mother, uh, this, this man who's with them all the time and they see him sweat, they see him sometimes have, have chills and get cold. This, this man is able to walk up on the deck and to speak to nature and nature obeys his voice. So they ask, what manner of, who is this? And that's what Matthew wants the reader who's reading the story to wrestle in their mind, who is he? And so we see that Jesus is really fulfilling what the Old Testament says about God. In Psalm chapter 89, we read this, the Lord of armies, who is strong like you, Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule the raging sea when its waves surge, you steal them. Or in Psalm 107, we read these same words, a similar theme, he stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the sea were hushed. Matthew's pointing out and pointing the careful reader back to the Old Testament that only God can speak to nature and nature obeys. His creation hears his voice. And as human beings, no matter what we've created, we know that our creations don't always obey our voice. I'm a parent, trust me. All summer, trying to help our kids to go to sleep on time and walk in the room, say, y'all go to sleep, and they don't listen. I wish that they would. I wish that this picture up here was the reality every night of them just laying in a circle saying, okay, daddy, because you had input on me coming uh, to life, I will obey you. But that's not how it happens. But when God speaks, mostly all of his creatures listen. The same is true we see in the next story. Once again, the disciples are met by violence. This time, it is two people who are possessed by demons. Now, I do want to note that the disciples seem to have grown from their previous encounter. When they're on the boat, they yell out and they scream, Lord, save us. Now they're met with two men who are uh, possessed by these, these demons as they cross to the other side, but we don't, we don't have an account of their experience. It appears that they are not screaming out in fear. But what we do see is that we see that these demons have something to say. And what do they have to say? Verse 29, suddenly they shouted, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? These demons who are human beings that are possessed by fallen angels who have rebelled against God along with Satan, make two observations. The first is they realize that the the man who has just gotten off the boat and who have crossed into their territory is the son of God. This is the second time in Matthew that Jesus is referred to as the son of God. The first time that Jesus referred to as the Son of God is not by other disciples. It's not by people who have seen him do miracles. The first time that Jesus is referred to as the Son of God is in Matthew chapter 4, and it is, it is Satan himself who calls him the Son of God in the wilderness. The second time is in this portrayal, and this reminds us of James' words in James chapter 2, verse 19. 
As James is talking to the church, he says, you believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. The demons believe and they know who Jesus is. But this brings us to their second observation and their second fear is that Jesus has shown up and he is getting away from what they perceive to be his divine timetable of showing the world who he is. And in fear, they run out and say, wait a minute, Jesus, you here a little early, a little sooner than we anticipated. Are you here to torment us before the time has come? To which Jesus interacts with them just as he interacts with the sea, as they beg him to have mercy on him and to not torment him. And with one word, we see these demons flee and they go into the pigs and the pigs jump overboard and kill themselves. With just one word, go. Demons flee, go. Demons run into the pigs, go. The pigs can't handle the filth and, and the, the evil energy, and they essentially commit suicide. Let me just put a pen right there and just mention the fact that we must be aware as Christians that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness, rulers and principalities in high places. That there is a devil and there are demons who, who seek to kill, to steal, and to destroy. C.S. Lewis has a great word for us when he says this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall in our thinking about devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe in their existence, but to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Satan exists. Some of us, we fall on to uh, the, 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 the spectrum of believing, uh, just being so pragmatic that we don't acknowledge that there is a devil and that there are demons who are actively working in systems and structures and people to bring um, oppression and to separate people from their God. And there's another uh, uh, part of it where some people overemphasize Satan's activity and they don't take personal responsibility or allow it to lead them to a place of, of prayer. And so what do we do with these two stories where we see Jesus encountering violence and we see Jesus speaking peace and all things obeying his voice? Well, I want to invite us to ask ourselves several questions. The first is this. In light of the story, will you place your faith in Jesus as God over your souls? There's some of us in here today who, is, who are enamored with Jesus. We think that he's fascinating. We came with a friend with no problem because we see him as one amongst many great teachers. He's a great rabbi. He's a great philosopher. He is a person we should model our life after, but that is where it ends. In fact, there's many teachings and many cults that says that there are, are many ways to God, and Jesus is a way to God. There is a, a false religion called uh, and a group of people that are known as Jehovah Witnesses who mean well and who believe that they have the way of salvation, but who teach a, a false doctrine that points to Jesus being adopted as God's son, Jesus being a, a great prophet, but not God himself. 
And the problem with that is this, it's two things. One is that Jesus, he spoke very clearly and, and constantly pointed us to his divinity by A, taking on the title of son of God, B, by calling himself son of man, intentionally pointing us back to the Old Testament, three, by constantly allowing people to worship him as God, which as a, a Jewish person would have been blasphemous. Jesus is fully God. And Revelations 22, and by the way, you could take a person who is a Jehovah Witness to this text, even though they have a translation that they intentionally manipulated in order to emphasize Jesus' divinity. For whatever reason, they left this out of their uh, reworking of the Bible. Revelations 22, 12 through 13 points us back to Isaiah 41 and 4 and Isaiah 46, which is a messianic uh, verses that are pointing us to the Messiah. It says, look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his works. And this is Jesus speaking in Revelations 22. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus makes claims to be God. And if Jesus makes claims to be God in order to and borrow him from C.S. Lewis once again, that means that Jesus either sees himself as Lord, he is a liar, or he is a lunatic. And you, if you think that Jesus is just a great philosopher, and yet you see him as one who is claiming to be God, um, you either have to put him in a category of, of being God and being Lord, or you need to conclude that he is a liar or even a lunatic. And my invitation for you is to see that Jesus is God, and this passage points us to the fact that God became man, and it points us to the fact that God showed up uh, as a man. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that this Jesus, who is God fully and who is man fully, is able to speak to nature as God, but he's also able to speak to the, to the wounds of your own soul. The greatest storm that you and I will ever face is, is not out there with natural disasters. And as bad as, as loss and grief is, you know, it's not, it's not just something that, that happens in our life. It's what goes on in our chest. It's our fear. It's our guilt. It's our, our shame. It's us dealing with our own brokenness and, and hurting other people and other people being broken, hurting us. It's, it's the thoughts at night when we know who we really are, that no matter how much good we do or how kind we try to be, that we're never good enough or kind enough. And we always feel that guilt from within. Jesus came to silence that storm by dying on the cross for you, by giving you an opportunity as you place your faith and trust in him to not only be forgiven, but have a new way of living where he is the captain of your ship, the captain of your soul, and where his kingdom becomes your kingdom. So my question for you to do today is, will you allow Jesus to become Lord of your soul, looking to him for salvation and for him alone? Second, is this text should make us question and wonder if, if we will exercise our faith in Jesus when we are afraid. When we are afraid, the disciples have two opportunities to, to be filled with fear, and rightfully so. 
Uh, there's, a, there's a healthy fear of acknowledging that there may be a threat, but then there's an unhealthy fear when we completely uh, uh, break down with, with a loss of hope. And all of us, we experience that emotion or the feelings of faith. But the question is, is in those moments when we feel afraid, will we take our fears to God and exercise our faith or will, or will we become reactive and act as if God either A, does not exist, Christian, or B, is not for us? This text this week encouraged me to really to ask my own soul that, that question um, and to, to look at why, in my opinion, uh, here recently I've become more reactive uh, than I would like to admit or even maybe would have admitted or experienced in the past. And this reactivity uh, that my soul has started having me to ask some questions and to reflect. And, and what I've begun to do over the last few weeks is to, to take a mental inventory and to begin to, to write down some questions or some thoughts that's coming to mind. As many times behind our reactivity are, are these thoughts and some of them are, are, are Satan trying to speak into our, our, our conscious and our minds to get us to doubt the goodness of God. And others of them is, is us just being able to take time to, to process what is going on in my soul. So I began to do that. And in doing that, I began to realize that the last three and a half years has been amazing, but they've also been hard. It's been amazing in that I've become the lead pastor of this wonderful church that is filled with youthfulness and vitality and, and wonderful elders and members who genuinely love Jesus. This church that is uh, becoming a burning movement that will impact Louisville and the nations, Lord willing, for a long time to come. But I also had to deal with some realities, as I said, and I thought about my own reactivity to storms. As my soul was reminding me that you're tired. Your soul is. So I began to think about, hey, in three and a half years, I shifted from one church to another, was able to add twins. They come at one time, by the way, <laughs> which was unexpected. <laughs> Faced an a, 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 a illness that, um, that, that came at inopportune times. Went through some really good transitions here at the church that were healthy and beautiful, but also some really hard ones. Seen friends walk away from the faith, members walk away from the faith. And I began to think about all of these things that happened in three and a half years and, and how when my soul in the midst of storms that are coming was, was essentially saying, I'm tired, I don't want to deal with this. So instead of acting out on faith, I could see how my heart was more tempted to act out on, on fear or reactivity. And I felt God invited me to write these things down, to, to take time to listen to the lies that I feel that Satan was leading. And then as I write those things down, my wife said, why don't you write down the ways that you see God at work in that time too? So it's not just this, but it's that. And I felt the Lord inviting me into a space to, to burn those things literally with fire. And while doing that, to just pray to Jesus and to recommit to this vision of Jesus being on board with me that entire time as the captain of my soul, turning all things that Satan meant to evil for his good 
and inviting me not to a vacation, but to a rest in him, knowing that he is the one who restores and renews and who leads us through still waters. And perhaps that's God's invitation for you tonight is to to take inventory and to start asking yourself some questions. Why am I so reactive when storms come? What about my story? What about my, my childhood? What about my teenager? What am I not dealing with? What about God am I not believing? Why don't I believe he's good? Why do I not believe he's immutable? Why do I not believe that he allows me to be tested and tried so that I would come out at the refiner's fire as pure gold and not to destroy me and to begin to come to Jesus and to say, Jesus, I know you are on the boat with me. And I believe by faith that in due season, you will wake up and speak a word to my heart and to my soul and to the storm to remind me of your faithfulness. And I think what God is inviting all of us to is to exercise our faith so that we won't remain little faith, so that we won't be like the children of Israel who go around in circles over and over as God miraculously delivers and heals us, but we only are able to focus on what is right in front of us, ignoring the fact that he has provided fresh manna over and over and over again. Jesus is walking throughout Israel, reminding them that a curse has occurred in the fall of Adam, but that the second Adam has come, and he is in the process of reversing the course. And those who are his disciples are those who will be met by natural storms and disasters that happen as a result of being in a fallen world, and they also will be met by demonic activity. But the way in which we are called to respond is to look at his beauty and his goodness and not at, uh, not at uh, what Satan would want us to focus on. Just like these herdsmen who encounter two men who have been tortured and who are now set free. And the only thing that they could focus on is their own livelihood. They miss the fact that they have just seen and experienced God himself deliver two men and they focus on their Future, rightly so. Their livelihood is in jeopardy, but Jesus has come and he's the one who's able to restore them fully, give them abundant life and provide for their life. And there's a growing concern that me and the elders here at Sojourn have. And one of the growing concerns is that every pastor here in America should have um, is that, that many people are kind of flirting with demonic activity. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we read these words, Paul tells Timothy, now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through their hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are, are seared. So Paul gives this warning that in the last days, many people will depart from their faith And they will depart because they are listening to false teachers who are under the influence of Satan, and they they will lead the faith. And we've seen this on a a national scale here recently as as people who have a large platform who who once worked and walked with God are departing the faith. And I just want to let you know that That those people, while we want to have compassion, we want to understand that they have a story, they're real people who were possibly put in a storm. And instead of running to Jesus in in faith, they ran to Jesus as if he was Jonah. And Jesus is not Jonah. 
Remember the story of Jonah, how Jonah was a prophet from God. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. He goes to Tarshish. He falls asleep on a boat. A big storm comes. Um, Jonah is waking from the, 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 the storm. People run to Jonah. Jonah realizes that this is a storm that was tailor-made by him. And the reason that Jonah is on that boat running from God is because Jonah does not care about Gentiles. He does not care about people that God wanted to save. And so these false teachers, they have these experiences with God. They listen to uh, these, these act, this, this teaching that is going throughout our culture. They deconstruct their faith because Jesus is just another prophet. And they end up in the wrong place and the wrong conclusion. And some of you right now, you're wrestling with who is Jesus? What is this faith that I believe I received as a child? Why do I feel lonely? Maybe the culture is right. Maybe there's multiple ways to God. Maybe Christianity is a sham. Maybe I need to rethink what I believe. And I want you to know that that is the wrong way to go to Jesus. And what Jesus is inviting you to see and to remember is the truth that he is God. That storms come, that we stay in a broken world, that we are broken people. And the answer is not to get off the boat in which Jesus is, is on, this one who saved you from darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. The answer is for you to place your faith in him and to remember that he cares about you. And the way you do that is not by looking at your situation or your circumstance formally. Uh, uh, it's by looking at this God who is there with you. And reminding yourself that he does care for you. And how do you know that he cares for you? Well, in the Gospel of Mark, we see Mark explains the story a little differently in that he puts emphasis on the disciples asking Jesus the question, do you care that, that we perish? Jesus does not answer that question in the Gospel of Mark with words. Instead, he answered it with a demonstration of power by speaking to the storm, saying, peace, be still. But later on, he would answer that question as he would allow the very people he created to place thorns on his head, to rip his flesh with a cat of nine whip, 39 lashes to spit in his face and mock him, strip him naked, take him up Golgotha's hill in the heat of the day in front of a crowd, hang him, leave him there to die. He would answer that question for the disciples, and he answered that question for you over 2,000 years ago when he became your substitute, saving you from the darkest, biggest, most absurd storm that there ever is, which is the, the wrath of God, a, a wrath that none of us can take upon ourselves. And it's on that cross that he substituted himself for us. And so that now when we face periods of suffering that may last three years, three months, three days, 10 years, we don't, we don't ask the question, do you care that we're perishing? We and even if we do, we ask it with the realization that he's already proved how much he cares for us by dying for us, by raising himself from the dead, and by promising that he is in the process of making all things new again. Anchor your faith on Jesus.
God's invitation for us is to, to reject reactivity by pausing when we're in the storm, by praying to a Heavenly Father who loves us, by abiding in the Word of God and remembering that suffering will come because we stay in a fallen world, but that God is making all things new again. 46, the vision of Psalms says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. And therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas. Look at that picture. Nature rebelling. We still should not be afraid, though glaciers melt. <laughs> though its water roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. Nations rage, kingdoms topple, the earth melts when his voice, when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes war cease throughout the earth. He shatters bowls and cuts spears to pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. God's invitation to you and to me in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our uh, unsorted through stories, in the midst of our trauma, in the midst of our wounded souls, God's invitation is this. Stop your fighting and know that I'm God. What in your soul are you saying, I'm wounded, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm I'm holding on to it. What, what does the Lord want you to process with them to set ablaze in his presence, trusting his sovereign will, his compassion, his long-suffering, his, his mercy? What is it that God is inviting you to stop, to put down? What bow is in your hand? What spear is in your hand? Who are you holding captive in your heart? What do you believe will set you free outside of God himself? Run to Jesus, hear him say, not with a word of indictment, but with an invitation of transformation. Oh, little faiths. Oh, little children. Oh, that you would know how much I love you. Oh, that you would remember that I've paid it all. Oh, that you would imagine that great wedding feast where these afflictions will appear light in light of my glory. Come to me. In this moment, come to me. Let me guide you beside still waters. Hear my voice. Peace. Be still. Perhaps God is inviting you today to doubt your doubts, to place your faith in the one who rules all things and who is making all things new. Every Sunday we celebrate the kindness of God by taking a meal called communion, reminding ourselves that God has given us uh, a demonstration that we get to partake in every week 
remembering his love for us. We break bread. We get to fill the bread. Remind ourselves that just as real as this bread is, so is Christ's body that was broken for you. And we drink wine or juice to remind ourselves that it is his blood that was shed for us. We dip the bread in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. And we take a deep breath. We remind ourselves we don't have to go around reacting as orphans because we have a father who loves us. If you're not a Christian or if you're a Christian in a, in a space right now of just habitual, intentional unforgiveness, I want to invite you not to take this meal, not out of shame, but out of faith and just pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Holy Spirit, create in me a clean heart and renew in me the right spirit. And also, if you're not a Christian, we want to invite you not to take this meal today, but just to quiet your soul in the audience of one and just pray, God, if Jesus is the way and the only way for my wounds to be healed, it's by his stripes that we are healed. If this is true, make yourself known to me. Let's pray. Father, you are faithful. Jesus, you are good. Spirit, we need you to take these words and to make them alive in our hearts. Protect the seed so that the cares of this world does not choke us, does not make us forget your goodness. Help us all to continue to be transformed by the Spirit where we're less reactive and more proactive in those moments to pray, to sit in the Word, and to exercise faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.